Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen real quick before we get into our subject matter for today. I just want to make an announcement on June 1st. I'm going to have something a little bit new that's going to be every first Thursday of each month. It's going to be in addition to the Sunday and Tuesday podcast. So the first Thursday of each month, starting June 1st, I'm going to have one of the brethren from the congregation here, going to rotate among those that would like to do it, join me in the podcast for a discussion. And we're going to talk about various different things. Give you a little heads up, the June 1st podcast is going to be with a brother named Bill Ard. He moved here from Mississippi four years ago because there was not a sound congregation there. We're going to talk about what led to that decision uh, and various things related to that, what his family thought about it, how people looked at him, and we're going to apply some scriptures in that discussion. I think you'll find it to be interesting. I would like the world to get to know some of my brothers here and and them to get an opportunity to talk about some things that are on our minds. And then uh, after that, in, in July, going to have another brother uh, join me for the July episode, uh, Scott Hamilton, and we're going to talk about uh, what it's like to go door-to-door with the gospel here in El Paso. And then from there, some of the other brethren have agreed to join me, and, and, and we're still working out uh, some of the things we're going to talk about and who they're going to be uh, and, and how far we're going to go into those subjects. So I'll leave that for them. Today, what we're going to talk about is this question. Will the earth remain forever? The subject matter of end times, things like the resurrection, the destruction of the world, they've been problems since the first century. When the Apostle Paul wrote the evangelist Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2, 16-18, he said, Shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. You can see there, in the first century, you had false teachers going about saying, Jesus has already come. The resurrection's already happened. Think about what that did and, and, and why it overthrew their faith, and think about kind of the backdrop of that. What if you're in a congregation in the first century, and maybe, let, let's say, for example, uh, maybe you're in Ephesus, uh, and Timothy has already been there to charge you to teach no other doctrine, First Timothy 1, 3 through 7, and the Apostle Paul hasn't been around for a while, the other apostles haven't been around for a while. Um, and then these guys might come through, somebody that believes that doctrine and says, Jesus has already come. And then at some point in time, you hear that Jerusalem has been destroyed. And you're like, hey, you know, the apostles were telling us about this. And then, wait a minute, did Jesus come during that time? What, what about us? What's going to happen? So there's confusion, right? And, and, and you don't have someone to clarify it right away. All of the scriptures haven't been written yet, so you can't do what we're going to do today. You can't go through and study the subject in depth. There are still some things that are a mystery to you. The whole faith hasn't been completely revealed. Yeah, I feel sorry for some of those brethren and how vulnerable uh, that they were. Then to add to that, you had congregations that had members, that believed things that were false, like in 1 Corinthians 15, 12. 
Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? The reason 1 Corinthians 15 was written is because there were members in the congregation in Corinth that said, hey, there is no resurrection of the dead. It's possible that they were under the influence of Sadducees. You'll recall before the church was even established uh, in Matthew 22, 23, the, their Sadducees came to Jesus. What was their doctrine? They said there is no resurrection. In Acts 23, 8, uh, when Paul is on trial, so to speak, says the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. So there's a division among the Jews. No, oh, Christianity is born and these doctrines already exist and then other things come about. Jesus has already come. There's a lot of confusion in the first century. There were those that also held the position that all things would just continue as is. Kind of like some people today. Well, Jesus hasn't returned in nearly 2,000 years, so tomorrow's going to come and the next day is going to come and the next day is going to come. In 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter writes, beginning of verse 1, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So it's like, hey, nothing's going to change. And sometimes that's a willful ignorance. The very next verse in 2 Peter 3, 5 says, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, that they, they, they by ignorance willfully choose to ignore the fact that it's God's will that the earth uh, remains. We'll come back to this context a little bit later. And, and, then, and, and even as you read through the end of 2 Peter chapter 3, some people, you know, when, when you look at verse 15 through 17, the, they, they don't know, they don't understand the scriptures for another reason. It says, account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him that written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking those things, things in which some things are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do other scriptures, under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things, beware, before, sorry, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. When we look at those scriptures, people that are willfully ignorant, or they've twisted scriptures, because like you just heard in 2 Peter 3, 15 through 17, some of the things that were written were hard to be uh, understood. Now listen, don't look at that scripture in light of today so much as is in light of then. Again, just to use the congregation as Ephesus as an example, they're given the, the, their first letter, um, and, and maybe there's something in that letter that they don't understand, maybe the unveiling of the mystery in Ephesians 3, 1 through 11, or maybe the, the work of spiritual gifts in Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 16, and the end of those things. Well, what we can do today, for example, with the spiritual gifts, is we can go back and we can read 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 13 and get some clarifications. Well, they don't have that letter. 
What if it's not been distributed to other congregations yet? They're not able to cross-reference similar context and look at a whole subject matter like uh, we can. I know when, when I have questions about certain context, I go to other areas of Scripture wherein similar things are addressed or the same thing is addressed. Like with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, thankfully there are, are often some parallel accounts that give you different uh, details. So once you put them all together, you can see the greater context of, of that particular teaching. What about those that just had the book of John? Uh, where, you know, when you, when you look at the book of John, I mean, chapters 13 and following are the last week of Jesus' life. It's, it doesn't cover as much as Matthew or Luke do, or maybe you just have the book of Mark. And it's just uh, brief accounts of, of things. And I mean, you should be able to understand this. Matthew is 28 chapters. Luke is 24 chapters. Mark is 16 chapters. So you know there's less detail in the book of Mark uh, and, and some things not covered at all, etc. Or if, if you're reading, uh, you know, the book of Acts, um, but you don't have some epistles to go get further details about particular subject matters, it, it, it would be very difficult in the first century without the whole revelation. And even beyond the first century, I mean, we have, we have the Word of God translated into languages that we understand, like us, English, if you're listening to this uh, podcast, and various translations for comparison. And we have all types of things, dictionaries, uh, we have concordances to help us find uh, different words. Word studies are, are very simple and easy nowadays. I mean, I, you know, when I started preaching back in the 1990s and I was doing a word study, I'd have six books opened up uh, on my desk, sometimes seven or eight, uh, just to find different verses with the same Greek word in them and then examine the context. Now, just click on a computer or a phone if you wanted to eat and, and just simplify that study. They had none of that. So when we're looking at they're unlearned and unstable and they twist scriptures to their own destruction, it's much more easier to do then than it is now, which is a shame because it seems like more people do it now, right? Kind of a shame. But let's come back to our subject. Whether it was willful ignorance or perversion of the truth, there were people that were very confused. So in this study, we're going to look at some scriptures that could easily be misunderstood because the wording suggests that the earth is never going to cease. Uh, and, and with this, teachings about the return of our Lord and the destruction of the world can easily be misunderstood. So we're going to have to reason from the scriptures. You know, Paul, as his manner was, went in and three Sabbath days, reason with them out of the Scriptures in Acts 17 too. Let's reason. Let's, let's reason from the Scriptures. Let's not have an agenda. I don't know about you, but if the world is never going to end, then the world is never going to end. That would just be the truth. I don't have to hold to a particular doctrine. You know, a lot of people are strapped to a doctrine, like to be part of their religion, they have to agree to statements of faith or creeds or something of that nature. I don't have anything I have to agree to except for the Word of God. And nobody to answer to outside of the Lord. No council, no headquarters, nothing of that nature. Uh, my brethren here in El Paso uh, will hold my feet to the fire to prove all things. But beyond that, uh, that's it. And, and by the way, my history 
when a congregation didn't agree with the truth, whether it was Christiansburg, Virginia in 1999 or Cherry Tree, Pennsylvania uh, a, year, a year later, when those congregations didn't want to uphold the truth, I left. I didn't compromise to quote-unquote keep working uh, with a group of people and never will. I love the Lord too much to compromise the truth. So as we're looking at things, let's just be reasonable and not have to hold to anything because of any group of people. And let's understand that we have to be careful with the scriptures, that you can take some things, you know, here recently in El Paso, we were studying 1 John 2.15, which says, love not the world, neither the things in the world. If man love the world, love the Father's not him. That's a pretty simple direct command, right? Love not the world. Well, what's that mean? Because if you take that in one way, you make God a sinner, right? Because John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have uh, everlasting life. So it's not, it's not as easy as just saying, well, the scripture says love not the world, so it's a sin to love the world. No, it's what's that mean in context? And what's that mean when you look at other scriptures? Uh, it's, it's not just run with a verse. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, it says, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So you know, how long do I have to stay awake? Unfortunately, last night, I had a hard time falling asleep. I'm pretty tired. I was kind of worried about this podcast today. I'm thinking, can I think clearly? Hopefully, I'm doing an all right job. Maybe you let me know if I start seeming like I started talking weird. Uh, How long could you stay awake? That's not literal, right? No, it means to be alert in context, to be aware. We're going to come back to that context later, by the way. Um, Other verses, John 3.22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples in the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. So Jesus baptized people. But wait a minute. If I read a little bit further into chapter 4, when therefore the Lord, verses 1 and 2, by the way, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, and then in parentheses, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. Oh, so in John three twenty two, when it says Jesus is baptizing, it's not really him. It's his disciples that are doing uh, the baptizing. What, what, what happens if I don't read forward? If I just camp on John 3.22 and I don't read forward, then, then I, maybe, maybe I'm, I've come to the conclusion Jesus is out there uh, baptizing people. Maybe I make that statement. Then I'm, t- I'm, I'm making a false statement because I haven't looked at the whole subject and the whole context. Um, you know, and, and, and along the same line, in John 3.26, says, They came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness. Behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Same point. And then an additional point, all men come to him. Is that to be taken literal? No. How do I know that? John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Speaking of Jesus, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave power to be the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. So all men come to him, or all come to him, uh, men being added. Either way, not to be taken literal, those that received him came unto him and were baptized, but not by him, by his disciples. Again, John 4, 1 and 2. So be a Bible student. Get the whole truth on a subject. Now that principle, those principles I just brought up, I I thought I would bring up something that most people wouldn't argue with because those are are pretty general points, okay? What we're about to get into requires the same line of reasoning, the same way to reason. For example, and 
And this is where, as a teacher of the scriptures, I understand why a lot of people believe false things. Uh, because the scriptures are easy to misunderstand. And that's not, again, not me just saying that, right? We, 2 Peter 3, 15 through 17 said that, right? The, the, the writings of Paul uh, specifically there, which, you know, some things are hard to be understood. So it's easy if you don't know the whole of the Bible. And by the way, I'm not saying that I know the whole of the Bible just by the very nature of while I have studied through the whole Bible many times, not just read, but studied through, I don't retain all of that information all of the time. So studying, verifying is, is important even after many, many years of, of learning and, and applying and teaching. So let's reason. If we wanted to go to the Bible and study about the earth, does the earth last forever? Maybe we come across some scriptures like Psalm 78, 69. says, He built his sanctuary like high palaces, like the earth which he hath established forever. Wow. After reading that, and maybe, maybe you would say, well, that might be a mistranslation. No, the American Standard Version, the New King James Version, the English Standard Version, they say forever. Well, maybe, maybe, let me look and see if other verses say the same thing. Well, yeah, other verses say the same or similar things. Psalm 93.1, the Lord reigns. He's clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. The American Standard Version says cannot be moved. The English Standard Version says it shall never be moved. And the New King James Version says so that it cannot be moved. So again, the point, translation, all correct. Uh-oh, Psalm 78, 69, Psalm 93, 1 seem very clearly to say the earth is going to last forever, right? Psalm 104, 1 through 5 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who covers thyself with light as with a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of, of, of the wind, who maketh his angel spirits, his ministers a flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever." Other translations, the American Standard says that it should not be moved forever. The English Standard says so that it should not, show that it should never be moved. And the New King James Version, so that it should not be moved forever. Oh, wow, right? What am I supposed to do with this? The book of Ecclesiastes. You know, is it all just poetry? Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 4, the words of the preacher, the son David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanity, say the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath man of all of his labor which he taketh unto the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. And the American Standard Version says the same thing. The English Standard Version says, but the earth remains forever. The New King James Version, slight variation, says the earth abides forever. So Psalm 78, 69, 93, 1, 104, 5, and in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 4, teach that the world lasts forever. However, other scriptures say the opposite. If I'm studying this subject out, 
I'm going to run into conflict. In Matthew chapter 24, you know, when you look at Matthew 23, 37 through 24, 34, that's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Verse 34 says that's all going to happen in that generation. Verse 35, the context changes. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour, no, 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 not the angel of heaven, but my father only. Clearly the opposite of the scriptures that we just read. Second Peter chapter 3, um, you know, we, we've already looked at uh, verses 1 through 5, and we also looked at verses 15 through 17, well, verses 9 through 14. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. So the coming of Christ is tied to what? The context continues. In which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the element shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, speaking of the sky, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the element shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to the promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, see that you look for such things, be diligent that you be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Do you see this subject matter can, it can then be complicated? And, and, and then you can explain things one way or another. You could say, well, the destruction of the earth doesn't mean totally gone. It just means destroyed by this way. So God's going to torch the earth and like a forest fire, everything's going to grow back. And you could make scriptural arguments. For example, the first destruction of the earth, the flood, right? Genesis chapter 6, 5 through 13, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. It repented the Lord that he made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing, fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I've made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Okay? God says he's going to destroy the earth, but it still exists. 2 Peter 2, 5 says he spared not the old world. So, but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteous, bringing the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So could it just be the destruction of the people? And 2 Peter 3, 6, coming back to that context, whereby the world that was being overflowed with water perished. So you could just explain the end of the world away by saying, look, all that language is the same as the language that suggests the world is going to end in the future, and yet 
It didn't. And you could further argue that the coming of Christ is likened unto Noah. In Matthew 24, 38 and 39, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So also the coming of the Son of Man be. I say all that not to take a position that the earth is eternal, but to illustrate that the study could be complicated. Um, maybe maybe you're, you're approaching this and you're saying, this is not a difficult subject. Just look at 2 Peter 3, 9-14. Well, I just showed you that 2 Peter 3, 9-14 can be complicated. In light of other scriptures, it can be complicated. And the subject matter can be further complicated. And, and I'll start answering some of these things now as we go forward. But, but just let me show you the complication because an, an honest Bible student just doesn't want to say, it's all easy. Look at this one verse. Here's your answer. Well, when we study the whole of the scriptures, you have scriptures saying the earth is going to be forever. Does it mean that or not? And why not? Is it as simple as love not the world and then God so love the world? Is it just let's combine all these points and see what that, what that means? Are there figures of speech? Well, we're going to talk about this. But let's complicate the subject a little bit more. Let's muddy the water. Hey, we're having a Bible study. Hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast by now, you're just genuinely interested in studying the Bible and thinking about things in a spiritual way. Hopefully, you have no agendas but to know, learn, and obey the truth. So to further complicate the subject matter, how about the wording of the new heavens and the new earth? We read it in 2 Peter 3.13, but it appears in other scriptures. For example, in Isaiah 65, 17 through 19, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy, and I will rejoice in Jerusalem and the joy of my people, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her nor the voice of crying. And Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. So it's, I mean, you add those scriptures, honest Bible student, genuinely just look for the truth. You know that just complicates the subject matter, right? I mean, if you're having a Bible study, somebody bring those scriptures up. Now it complicates it. It's not just as simple as, well, look at 2 Peter 3, 9 through 14. It's complicated. Uh, so let's look at it. What was Isaiah prophesying about? Isaiah was prophesying about the restoration of Israel during Old Testament times. How do we know that? Well, context. Isaiah 65, 20 and 21 says, There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old. The sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. So you're talking about physical restoration. You're not talking about heaven on an eternal earth. And Isaiah 66, just going a little bit further in the context, verse 20 through 23, says, they shall bring all your brethren for an offering in the Lord out of all nations upon horses and chariot litters and upon mules, upon swift beasts to my holy mountain Jerusalem, saith the Lord. As the children of Israel bring an offering and a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. And here's a key. I will also take of them for priests and for Levites, saith the Lord. That's a key because as we go further in our study, I'm going to bring a point up about the Levites being in a priesthood forever. And I'm going to show you that that forever is not meant to literally be forever. Uh, but back to this context just for now, Isaiah 66, 20 through 23, what the Lord is talking about is during the time of the Levitical priesthood. And then it's repeated. 
in that context. For as the new heavens and the new earth will I make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. So this is a period of time when the Levites are still priests and there is a new dwelling place. So the new heaven and new earth is just saying there's a new dwelling place. Uh, it's restoration, which was God's plan when he, when uh, Israel was taken captive, put into to Babylon, etc., and and other times of captivity. You know, for example, in Isaiah nine or not Isaiah, sorry, Amos nine and verse fourteen, uh, the Lord says, "I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink the wine there. They shall make gardens and eat the fruit of them." So it's just restoration language, uh, a new place. Uh, when when you look at Old Testament prophecies, here's a simple rule of Bible study. It's very helpful. Uh, we studied through here in El Paso over years. We went verse by verse through the entire Old Testament and especially slowed down our study when we got to the prophets. Uh, and, and, and every time we're looking at prophecy, there's just a general rule to always keep in mind, and that's Matthew 5, 17, 18, where Jesus said, Think not I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I send you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise passion law, till all be fulfilled. Jesus came to fulfill what was written in the law and the prophets. So his new covenant doesn't come into effect until he has fulfilled those uh, prophecies. Hasn't doesn't come into full effect until those prophecies are fulfilled, which we know by now, here we are, you know, much later, all those prophecies have been fulfilled. If you keep that Bible study rule in place, it'll help you uh, a lot. Uh, when you when we were talking about in Second Peter three thirteen about the new heaven and the earth, new earth, uh, you know that context is talking about the 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 sky and the earth and the elements of the earth being completely burned up. It's very difficult to explain that away because. It is what it is, okay? Uh, so there is a new dwelling place to look forward to uh, after that. When, and, and that would be when Christ comes. And later in this lesson, we're going to look at uh, uh, a text in our conclusion that shows us that when, when Christ comes, the faithful are not going to abide on earth. And that clarifies 2 Peter 3.13 that the coming of Christ and that end of the world and the new heaven and the earth, new earth then, excuse me, is not on earth. It is in eternal heaven. We'll get to that later. Revelation 21.1. Oh boy, the book of Revelation. Why is it that so many people, and it's a difficult book because it's highly figurative language, but so many people just misunderstand it because they want to put everything and the book of Revelation to be, quote-unquote, end-times prophecies. And it's not that Revelation doesn't a few times talk about, you know, things in the future, but there's some general rules in the book of Revelation. Like, for example, in the context of Revelation 21, it's talking about on earth. Revelation 21.10, John is having a vision. He says, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain, showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So what he's talking about in Revelation 21 is not going up into eternal heavens, but something coming back to earth. He's talking about the restoration of the church. 
and that fits the context of whom the book of Revelation is written to and what the majority of the book of Revelation covers. In Revelation chapter 1, 1 through 4, I mean, start at the beginning, folks, says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show his, unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Things that are at hand and shortly come to pass. If you flip to the last chapter, Revelation 22, 6 and 10 say this, He said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of his holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. And then in verse 10, Saith to me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. It's not talking about thousands of years down the road, talking about things that members of the churches of Asia saw in their lifetime. To whom the book was written is to whom the majority of the applications are made. The church, you know, the, the tribulation 10 days, Revelation 2.10, which is not to be taken literally as 10 days, but just as a shorter period of time shortly come to pass. That's how you approach the book of Revelation. Revelation 21.1 is not talking about eternity in heaven. It's talking about the restored church, the bride of Christ, uh, being brought back to its beautiful state after the terrible persecution she faced. So how about the word forever? In some of the verses that we looked at in Psalm 78.69, and Ecclesiastes 1.4. Let's talk about that Hebrew word olam, if that's how you pronounce it. If you want to look it up, it's Strong's number 5769. It's broad in meaning. It can mean long duration. So forever just can mean long duration. Uh, antiquity uh, can mean about the future. could mean everlasting. could mean evermore. could remain. could mean perpetual, old, ancient. Um, you know, the other day, I had to go to Lowe's because our doorbell died, and, it, and I ended up having to go a couple of times. Replacing a doorbell is very simple. A wired doorbell is very simple. Uh, there's just a couple of wires. Uh, you just take them off, put them back, and the doorbell I thought was dead. And then when I come back and take it off, and the wire basically comes completely out the wall, somewhere inside the wall is broken, a simple repair became more complex. I had to replace uh, the doorbell system uh, at that point in time. Uh, so uh, at, during one of those trips, Lowe's, at least the one by my house, sometimes does this terrible thing where they have no cashiers. They just have this stupid check yourself out. And there's a long line and a lot of people that are standing there. I don't know why this happens. It's like uh, there has to be a Lowe's employee there showing people how to do things. Why don't they just do it and make it faster? Uh, people are confused. They're checking out. One, the guy I was standing behind, uh, he was checking out, and uh, he was in a credit card only uh, thing, and he's going to pay, and he's waiting, and he's looking around, and he has the Lowe's employee comes over, and he says, where do I put the cash? And she pointed that the sign above says card only. Yeah, thanks for holding up the line, right? Uh, so I made this statement. Man, I've, I've been in line forever at Lowe's. How would you take that statement? 
So let's look at the Bible. Let's look at that word, Exodus 19.9. Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. Believe thee forever. You know that figure of speech there, right? Exodus 21, 1 through 6. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he come in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master hath given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. You know that that's not literal, right? Deuteronomy 23.3, an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the congregation of the Lord, even to their 10th generation. So he gives a a time period, the 10th generation. But then goes on to say, shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever? So 10 generations there is forever, a long duration. 1 Kings 9.3, Lord said unto him, Solomon, I have, he's talking to Solomon, He says, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And we talked about Matthew 23, 37 through 24, 34. We talked briefly about this earlier, brought up the reference then. Let me do it again. The temple of Jerusalem was destroyed in the first century, not rebuilt. And, and folks, by the way, it, it was destroyed before then too. It was destroyed in Babylon. It was destroyed again after Babylon. Daniel prophesies of that when you're studying Daniel's chapters 10 and 11. Uh, so forever means for a long time there, not eternal. And 2 Kings chapter 5 25 through 27, he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went not whither. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money, receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen, men servants and maidservants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. You know, The man couldn't be a leper into eternity. You understand that. In 1 Chronicles 15.2, David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. Now, I brought this up earlier and said that we would come back and talk about it uh, when we were looking at Isaiah chapter 66, 20 through 23. Uh, and we're talking about the priest being Levites. Well, the Levitical priesthood was not established forever. And a context in Hebrews talking about Jesus uh, and, and the promise to Abraham kind of starts this in Hebrews 6.13, for when God made promise to Abraham, 
he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. And he goes on to talk about how his word is, is enduring. And then in verse 20, whether therefore the forerunner is entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, not after Aaron, not after the Levites. And then you get come into chapter seven, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto him the Son of God, abideth a priesthood continually. Now consider how great this man was. Unto whom the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily they are the sons of Levi, who received the office of the priesthood, having commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they came out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted for them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he received them, of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may say, so say, Levi also, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity the change also of the law. So what, what's that do uh, to 1 Chronicles 15 too, That the Levites would minister to him forever? Well, here in Hebrews chapter 7, there's a change in the priesthood. In verse 14, it's evident our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. Very simple, right? The, the priesthood is changed. So forever, as it relates to the priesthood, isn't really forever. And, 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 and here, Hebrews 7, 17, for he testified, thou art a priest forever after order of Melchizedek. And then when you come down later in Hebrews chapter 7, forever is given to us in clear terms. Verse 23, beginning, there truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come to him by God, that come unto God by him, seeing he liveth ever to make an intercession for them. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily, as those high priests offer up sacrifice, for, for his own sins, and then for the people. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests, which hath infirmity, but the word of oath, which was since the law, maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. So the Levitical priesthood, that Hebrew word there, olam, forever just meant for a long period of time. It's changed. When we look, look at other verses, that word is translated everlasting in Psalm 105.10. It says, Confirm the same unto Jacob for a law and to, an, and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. Well, we just read in Hebrews 7, the law being changed. In fact, even under 
the Old Testament dispensation, uh, Jeremiah the prophet prophesied of the end of the law of Moses. He said in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers and the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I be a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, right, in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least unto the grace of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. If you were to keep reading after where we left off in Hebrews 7 and verse 28, and you were to go into chapters 8, 9, and 10, you would see the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and both the changing of the law and the priesthood and the law of Christ, the law of Christ that will judge us, the eternal law. That law that when we go all the way back to what, what we talked about earlier, that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away, Matthew 24 and verse 35, that is the forever law, the literal eternal law. So let's, let's bring all this up and package it nice and neat. The earth is being preserved. If you go back to that context we've been in a few times in 2 Peter 3, verse 7 says, "...the heaven and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store." reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So there's our clarifier. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 is being reserved until the day of judgment. Hebrews 1, 8 through 11, Under the sun he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows, and thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and all shall wax old as doth a garment. So in comparison, Jesus, your eternal, the earth is not. Mark 13, 31, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away, a parallel to Matthew 24 and verse 35. When we are talking about the end, we're talking about the world coming to a conclusion. The 2 Peter 3, 9 through 14 type of context. Then we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth. That's where? Is it on earth? No. Remember what Jesus talked to his disciples in John 14, 1 through 3. Not, not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Well, where is Jesus? He's in heaven. That where he is, the disciples could be also. Here is real good clarification in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. Lest we get anything confused, here is the simplifier, okay? This is where we reason through scriptures. We can see this subject matter can be complicated. It can be difficult because the wording of verses, but it can be simplified if we reason through all of them. If we look at the meaning of words and context and what things mean. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, meaning dead, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive 
and remain under the coming of the Lord. This is 2 Peter 3, 9 through 14. We're talking about the coming of the Lord, thief in the night, in which the heavens shall melt with fervent heat, the elements also that shall be burned up, right? He says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. So he's coming from heaven with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive, talking to Christians, about Christians, and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You hear that? To meet the Lord up. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That confirms the John 14, 1 through 3. It confirms the 2 Peter 3, 9 through 14. The new heaven and new earth is up. Where Jesus is coming from, he's going to take us to again. It, it is a lesson that if you were to continue to read on, if you're not ready, get ready. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4, if you continue to read on from what we just read, says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need, I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. It's be aware, be ready, be alert. If you're a faithful Christian, your heart does not need to be troubled. This world is going to end. Don't be afraid of that. Jesus is preparing a place that where he is, we can be also. Don't worry about those that have died in Christ. They'll be risen to meet the Lord in the air. If you're alive and Jesus comes today, tomorrow, we will be risen with him to meet him there. He's not coming back to this earth. He's not going to step foot on earth. He's not going to reign on earth. In fact, if you were to continue reading in the Hebrews chapter 8, talking about Jesus being the priest, it says, if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there were priests that offer gifts according to law. Remember what we read in Hebrews 7. He hath an everlasting, unchangeable priesthood. If he were on earth, he could not be the priest. We couldn't be saved. He's not coming back and, and, and going to stay on the earth. He's coming in the air, and we're going to meet him there. If you're not ready, get ready. 1 John 2.15. I brought up earlier, love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, love the Father is not in him. If you keep reading, it says in verse 16 through 18, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Look at that contrast. The world is temporary. Those that abide and doeth the will of the Lord live forever. He says, little children, in the context of verse John uh, chapter 2, it's talking about disciples. So it is the last time. As you have heard, the Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby you know that it is the last time. Since Acts chapter 2, we've been in the last days. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says it again. Last days. Here, last times. Since the first century, the last times, there's not another period of time. You know, when you look at the Bible, there was creation and then the first destruction by water and then after that the restoration of the earth and the promised period of time to Abraham and the time where the fathers were the heads over their households. Oftentimes people refer to that to a patriarchal period. 
Uh, then uh, up to Exodus chapter 20, you got the establishment of the law of Moses, then the Psalms, uh, the prophets, you have judges, you have all these different periods of times. Even in the first century, uh, John the Baptist comes and he begins preaching a different message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, Matthew 3 and verse 2. The law and the prophets were until John, Luke 16 and verse 16. Then you have Jesus coming and he's ushering in that same message. Repent, the kingdom is at hand, Matthew 4, 17 and following. Then you have the work of the apostles and the, the unveiling of the new covenant, the teaching of the doctrine of Christ. When you read through Luke and Acts, you see all kinds of changes taking place. Uh, and, and sometimes people want to simplify it. They want to say, Jesus died on the cross and the new covenant came into effect. No, it still had to be revealed. It, it, it was incomplete until it was finally and fully uh, revealed. Uh, so you've got these different periods of time. Um, you could see changes uh, in the first century. Uh, you can see instructions like the Holy Ghost appointed elders at one point, Acts 20, verse 28. But then later, evangelists appointed elders and were given qualifications for those elders. First Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 and Titus 1, 5 through 9. There are all these different times during the scriptures where things were evolving and changing and changing and new and revelation was being given that was new uh, revelation. Once that's all given, now we're in a period of time where things will remain as far as law and revelation go until Jesus comes again. We're in that last time, that last dispensation. No more changes. The world's going to perish. What's going to happen to you in that day? Are you ready when you step back and you read? So maybe I brought up some things that have got questions in your mind. Call me up, 915-525-5794. Maybe I've read some context. There are some interesting things in what I read about Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter 7. You can call me up. We can study it. If you want to go to my website, www.wordsoftruth.net, I've written on the whole book of Hebrews. If you go to uh, Bible study materials, New Testament studies, book of Hebrews, every verse and chapter uh, broken down and, and references given to explain uh, each of, of those scriptures uh, or you know, be willing to talk to you about it, simplify it, make it easier for you. We can just talk. You can email me, brian at wordsoftruth.net. But I hope this study has been enjoyable for you. And I hope you can see that there's often depths and layers to subjects in the Bible and, and, and words that you got to be careful and not taking literal and, and not just saying, here, this word for, is forever. Sometimes people just say, look, this verse says this, and it just means just that. Well, that's dangerous. There's 66 books in the Bible, and often you got you got to look a little bit further in depth to come to the whole and right conclusion. And you don't have to rush to it either. You can enjoy the process. Bible study is enjoyable. You're, you're finding treasure. You're uncovering truth. Um, and and you, you can take that time and do so. I thank you for listening. Um, the next podcast will be on Sunday. I hope you will tune in and listen. Till then, take care.